Welcome back to a brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion, and today I am joined by Adam Sink. What up? Oh, not a lot. Living my best 2020 life right now. Sick. Sounds great. Sounds sounds like uh, something that uh, we should all be doing. We should all be living our best our best life whenever we can, right? Even in 2020. The, That's right. Yeah. Just do what you can do with what you got. And, you yeah. know, this year's not a lot, but so what? Well, I mean, we got lots of toys, we got lots of games, and we got lots of friends. So that ain't so bad, huh? It's true. Could ah. be worse. Could be worse. Uh, and we got RBK. What up, Richie Buzzkill? Not much, man. I'm just, uh, you know, I, I, I'm actually kind of excited a little bit because I'm going on the road this weekend. So we're going to see how that goes. Uh, and uh, just going to get out of the house for a weekend. So that, Where are you headed to? I'm going to head up to Sedona, uh, go back to the place where we got married, and actually enjoy the wilderness where we got married. Wait, wait, hang on. You're going to use some healing? No, well, my, my wife, Stephanie... Happy anniversary, okay. Stephanie. Not that she's going to listen to this, but... Uh. <laughs> Dude, everybody knows I'm sad and divorced. Like, I'm unlovable. Good, good for you, Stephanie, for not listening to this. Right. <laughs> Nobody loves me, so we've already established that. Oh, we, we love you, but Adam. Yeah, Just not that one. That'll be fun. Go get some crystals. <laughs> yeah, and- I, I actually have some hot takes on that, but I'll save it for the after <laughs> show. <laughs> I have, I'll save it for the after show. My hot nice. takes. I got hot, hot takes. takes. Anyway, um, hot takes not fit for consumption. Um, and then today we have a very special guest. We have one of the uh, Full Metal RPG OGs. We got the Warlord Amanda. What up, Amanda? How you been? Hello, hello. It's been a while. It has been a hot minute, has it not? It has indeed. So I'm hanging what? in there, playing games, yeah. hating, you know, 2020. The norm. Like, 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 what have you been playing? Anything? I mean, since we actually uh, recently, I've been playing a lot of Gloomhaven. Ah, Gloomhaven, the board, uh, the board yes. slash role playing game, right? With stickers is, is and stuff. That how you say it, or is it like Gloomhaven? <laughs> Depends on how drunk I am. Okay, because I kind of feel like there needs to be a little more emphasis to really drive the point home. <laughs> uh, we we uh, we got it because they finally are doing a Frosthaven, and so they had a special. For if you kickstarted it, and then you could get Gloomhaven too, and I was like, "Well, you know, I always wanted it. This is the perfect time." Yeah. And it's actually a lot of fun. Frosthaven, or did they send you the Gloomhaven in advance? Um, so what it was is because they're making the Frosthaven, you could get the Gloomhaven um, at like a special price. So we did that, and they sent us the Gloomhaven in advance and the Frosthaven. Uh, I think they're still making it. Oh, sick. That, I mean, that's really cool that they are shipping two things to you, you know, because usually yeah. it's like you... That uh, thing's fucking heavy. Yeah. Dude, I don't doubt it. It's a small I coffin, for sure. It really is. <laughs> I, I mean, usually it's just with the Kickstarter, you kind of like put your money in and then you just forget that it exists. And eventually someday you get like a little treat in the mail, maybe. Yeah, maybe. It shows up and you're like, oh, I remember that thing from yeah. ages ago. Awesome. I remember 2015. <laughs> I have completely yeah. different role-playing priorities now. Oh, well. Yep. 
Womp womp. Womp womp for me. Yeah, the role playing has been light for 2020, unfortunately. Uh, and then, uh, you know, cons getting canceled, so I had games that I didn't get to run, all that sort of stuff. What was kind of peaking you um, before um, before the fucking madness descended? What was what was the hot shit before then? So probably the one I was looking forward to the most was uh, I was going to do a Disney D and D at Arizona Game Fair, actually. Mm. AZ Game Fair. Yeah. Oh, man. man. Well, save your powder till next year, ago. theoretically. Whiz. Um, all right, great. Well, uh, today for uh, episode 99 of Full Metal RPG, our 99th fucking episode, um, we're doing part four of our politics in role-playing uh, like mega, mega seminar that we have been kind of spreading out across 2020. And of course, for some reason, back in 2019, it seemed like this would be the perfect time to be talking about all this shit. And I guess we were right, kind of. I mean, we were yeah. like, it's going to be an election year. People want to talk about heavy shit. Little did we know, lol. Um, so today, today's episode is about uh, Westerns in the, uh, in the role-playing space and kind of like... Um, what what's going on in these games and kind of uh like how we might approach them and what it is that we can take from them and like what it is that we're putting into them certainly and um i kind of uh we're in a sort of a unique spot in arizona because a lot of people when they think of the wild west they think of uh texas or california but Guess what? Arizona was the Wild West too. In fact, we got the we got Tombstone here. Right. Man. I was gonna say we we had Wyatt Earp and Tombstone. Who the hell is like Arizona wasn't part of the Wild West? Because those people are wrong. That that yeah. We we got we got like the best movie from the '90s. The best Western from the '90s was uh was definitely Tombstone, and, and we definitely get that as our claim to fame. So you can take that, New Mexico. Whatever happened there? Who? No one even knows. Um, <laughs> so, uh, being being in Arizona, not only do we get to kind of like you know you know uh, steep in sort of the spirit of the Wild West as it has you know sort of like clung to us over the course of the centuries, but also we get to live amongst like people who have like actual connections to um, what you know the Old West and that time period, and uh, our friend. Uh, the warlord Amanda uh, is is a representative from uh, the native peoples of Arizona, and she is also a gamer, and so she is in a very unique position to um, discuss this kind of like you know bag of uh, horror with us. Uh, do you have any kind of like opening thoughts on that, Amanda? Do you have any like? I mean, seriously, I don't think I've ever asked you this in, like, fucking, you know, I've known you, like, 20 years. I've never asked you, like, is there anything that, like, uh, you've experienced as a gamer, as a native person, like, uh, that you feel is, like, sort of, like, unique to to, to your experience that you'd want to, like, share with the audience? Well, I think probably the biggest thing is that you really don't see a lot of native representation in RPGs. It's uh, it's really rare, and it's not something that really gets thought about um, unless you actually are a native and a gamer. It's it's one of those things that isn't there, but no one really notices that it's not there either. 
That's interesting. That's interesting. And then, I mean, there are some kind of notable, um, like, 90s games when I feel like Native Peoples kind of had a moment in games in the 90s with kind of like Werewolf and uh, Shadowrun. Uh, if, have you ever interacted with those games and felt like more represented by them or less represented? or do, are, they, are they cringe? Sometimes I listen to them. Sometimes I look at them and I feel a little cringe. Do you have any thoughts? Oh, well, definitely most of the stuff that you do encounter is a little cringy because it, it you know, it goes on the, the basic stereotypes, um, which is how most of the world sees them. We're, we're sort of the last minority to be put into mainstream, I guess. So most of the stuff is is going to be a stereotype of some sort that you see. And it's usually in the fringes, too. Um, not a lot of stuff that focuses on natives yeah yeah no i i hear that and like uh as as um the issues of kind of like colonialism have like kind of been brought to the forefront and how they're kind of like represented in in say fantasy gaming where i really feel like for what for whatever reason colonialism kind of shows up in fantasy gaming a lot there's this kind of like oh we're gonna go conquer some shit kind of like attitude right and that's perceived as being the like vantage point of the hero character of the protagonist character um like has there ever been a time when you were interacting with like the narrative uh especially in the past before these kind of like colonialist ideas before people start like kind of pulling the masks off them uh were, were you ever like sitting at a table and being like yeesh <laughs> or or uh or it does is it just kind of like no it's just like kind of a lord of the rings story and you're cool with it most of the time, like when I'm gaming, I I I'm not in a kind of I don't see colors or or um, cultures really unless it's like a specific game, which I can't even think of one. But if it's something fantasy, like sci-fi, cyberpunk, anything like that, uh, it's mostly just about the game and the story and the people you're playing with. I don't really think about like oh does this represent my culture or you know that sort of thing so i don't it's like a it's more like a safe space because in the world at large there's a lot of just bullshit that goes on <laughs> being a minority being female being a gamer so when i'm actually playing a game i just i just want to have fun but when you stop and you look at things it's kind of like eh, maybe that wasn't that culturally sensitive um but in the middle of a game you know i'm not gonna fucking call you out and be like dude yeah that's just no well i mean fortunately we've got like uh you know x cards and crap like that so that like if if anything's like super egregious you know we can throw the brakes on things now um all right let's uh let's break open this topic oh golly westerns so um from the it's kind of interesting because role-playing games, it seems like when um, they started kind of making these things, there was this almost unspoken inclination to drift into the um, replication of genres that were already popularized in like film and television, right? And you, could, that's, you might look at it and think like, oh, well, of course. Um, of course, if there's going to be 
you know, science fiction on television, there's going to, and the science fiction novels, there's going to also be science fiction role playing games. I mean, looking back, we look at it and we say, oh, of course. But I think it's kind of interesting to note that um, the early people who were writing RPG games were kind of looking at sort of like the pop cultural, like storytelling genres that had already been made available to them. And they were choosing to riff off of those rather than creating new things. You know what I'm saying? They weren't. The people they invented this new art form to tell stories, and then they set about telling stories that were already being told in other places, just in a different way. And that's not to sort of like um, diminish the value of RPGs as a storytelling device, or to say like, oh, look at all these non-creative people, because obviously it's a very creative endeavor that they were that, that these people were embarking on. But it does acknowledge that there was this very kind of like limited framework for the thinking about what kind of stories would be told. And while we've already kind of explored how fantasy was just, you know, it was and remains all time champion. And then uh, we kind of got down into, you know, you know, second place's first loser science fiction. And then uh, uh, horror kind of got like a little a little. spot off on the sidelines somewhere um then then at that point you get this kind of like genre fragmentation right where nothing really is able to pick up the same kind of steam as those major genres but you do see kind of reoccurring themes of the same type of game over and over again and one of those ends up being the western right and it's the kind of it's despite the fact that it's almost kind of like an old-timey genre it never has really just fully gone away. Am I right? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the, uh, I mean, it's funny. I was looking at just different games trying to like come up with just straight Westerns. And it's really hard to find just straight Western. Like, I think Boot Hill is probably the first or the most famous of the early Western uh, games. And then like Aces and Eights. And I think there's like one more that I can't come up, but most of them are remixed in some way. And there's the big, the big, uh, at least to me, the biggest in my world is Deadlands is kind of, Deadlands is kind of the biggest. And the only one I can think of that actually gets sees, I I see regularly at conventions and stuff. So, and and Deadlands has really been with us for like Jesus, 30 years now, 25, 30 years. Um, Yeah. And and is is sort of interestingly kind of a product of Arizona, am I right? Yeah, yeah, no. Shane Hensley, Hensley of uh, Pinnacle Entertainment, and it's it's uh, it was kind of the game that launched Pinnacle. I mean, it's where Savage Worlds came from, and there's there's some argument to be made that the original Deadlands is actually better than Savage Worlds because it was a little more tighter to the concept, but. Um, they just put out a new edition. I'm, I'm actually looking, looking at it right now. And I still think that some of the earlier editions might, might, well, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't played it yet. So, but he is from around here and he's definitely steeped in the culture of, of Arizona for sure. (laughs) And and there, there was kind of a hot minute where, um, uh, when white wolf was waxing ascendant, and Pinnacle, with Deadlands specifically, was seemed to be waxing ascendant, and TSR was kind of fumbling around all over the place, and D and D was becoming a very kind of old hat and kind of boring, and uh, and so 
as as one star was waning and two were waxing, it seemed for a minute like maybe one of the biggest role playing games that there was going to be was this game that was essentially a western, right? Now it's a horror western. It's a horror slash sci fi western, but it was still a western, right? Yeah, and I, 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 you could argue from uh, well, from a lot of point of views that that uh, a western is a horror genre. Um, <sighs> Ooh, that's that's a hot take. Yeah, if if you if you look at it from anybody but the conquering uh, colonist uh, perspective, it's pretty much a horror genre. So, <laughs> like, it's, that it, works. Yeah, it's kind of it's it, if it you know this is kind of my argument about the genre is there that we've been told a very specific story in this genre over and over and over again, and just like Lovecraft is kind of being. Uh, uh, turned on its head. I think Westerns turned on their head is also a legitimate direction for this genre to go. So oh, interesting. The future, the future of the, of the genre. So let's kind of um, take a second and then let's kind of discuss what experience we have with these games. Um, Adam, I don't feel like you've gotten a chance to talk much. What Western games have you played? The Western games that i've played is pretty much wild west werewolf i can't really say i ever played deadlands uh i think you and i both had a pretty infamous among our friends group encounter with a rather ardent deadlands fan at the gaming store one time jordan jordan zombie juice guy yeah zombie juice oh god zombie juice yeah (laughs) right the guy who i was going to tell you about his deadlands character Right, so it's it's kind of become one of those apocryphal tales amongst our group of friends and everyone else. But yeah, uh, otherwise, I can't say I've had a ton of experience with Western gaming. And when you're dealing with Werewolf in particular, it's got that, I don't know what you want to call it, that weird pseudo-native sheen they put on it with the Wendigo and the Octana. And it just, it's... Looking back at it, it's just kind of strange to interact with that game um, and interact with it as kind of like a, a, a piece of our past or a piece of our history. It uh, it doesn't really do a good job modeling a lot of the really complex stuff that was going on at that time and a lot of the really, frankly, like shameful and horrifying stuff that was going on at that time. What about you, Amanda? Have you played any of these games? I think the Werewolf Western has been my absolute favorite uh, just the feel of the world. But I would also count um, Firefly in the Western genre. And I have played that. Interesting. Then well, I mean, Elaborate. it's it's, a, it's it's Space Cowboys, you know? So <laughs> it's right up there. I, I, think, I think you have an interesting point in that it's, a, uh, it's kind of a uh, post-Civil War take. And then you get these kind of post-Civil War characters that are kind of like trying to you know get away from those damn yankees or something i mean i i think it kind of flips the script a little bit or maybe it just occupies a place that's like maybe a little bit just sort of uncomfortable for someone with like my ideology i mean i love firefly i love firefly but when i watch firefly i see myself in it i don't see essentially like libertarians and i and you know my contention is essentially that like uh like the Western is essentially like the libertarian myth that you're like trying to live out either through a novel or a, uh, you know, television show or a role playing game. Uh, do you have any takes on that? Well, see, 
When I think of a Western, I think of something set in a, a place that's hard. It's hard to live. You have to really work at it. Um, I think of something that entails hardship in life and then hardship in moralities as well. Uh, then there's also a rugged aspect to it. Um, and this is why I think of Firefly as a Western. Well, well, I mean, I think that they definitely want you to think of it, of, of, of that um, show slash game as a Western. I think they go to, they go to great pains for it, but I mean, yeah, it's got a frontier kind of vibe to it. I will definitely agree with that. Well, they did the Warhammer thing where they were like, in the future, everything's going to go back to the way it was in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's going to start using like those little apple peelers and stuff. And you're like, Oh, okay. That makes no sense. That's never happened before, but sure. For the sake of this story, why not? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like, uh, I mean, I feel like Western as a genre of media was kind of the base on which that like the pulps were built on. And then the pulps took parts of the Western and then the sci-fi genre was kind of like the pulp sci-fi genre took parts of Westerns and parts of uh, 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 the pulp and put it in space. And then we've got like shows like Star Trek, which the original series was kind of supposed to be a wagon train in space that you could argue that it didn't, you know, it did that only because they, it was very popular at the time to have a be a Western, but there is some of those same themes of exploration, but hopefully in a better way, which what Roddenberry was trying to do, but you know, no, I mean, I think that you've got, you've really hit on something here, and I think that it's got the same problem that you get with, uh, you know, really the very, very popular Western, right? And and I think you've made, okay, you've made some really good points here. First of all, the connection to pulps. I'm, I'm not a historian on pulps. I don't really know what precedes what, or if they were just merely contemporaneous, but the... Western does take on sort of a new life in television that we did not see with like, say the crime pulps, like the, or or like two fisted adventure pulps, right? Somehow, uh, the, the Western is able to like jump from one, um, like form of storytelling into another form of storytelling right at the sort of moment when, um, television is becoming like super popular and it's becoming the thing that everybody has. Right. And so there's like just tons and tons and tons of Westerns on TV. And that really ended up kind of influencing, especially I think the males of our parents' generation. Right. Like, I mean, you sit down and you talk to your dad. I mean, this is the way it was with my dad anyway. And that was just his obvious favorite shit. He just, he saw them all. He watched them all, and, he, and it sounds like he more or less loved them all. Did, does, does anybody else here have any experiences kind of like that? Oh, for like, sure. Kind of like having an, a person from the the previous generation trying to like bring them the Western and being like, hey, look at this thing. Well, my dad never did that because he, I, I think he kind of, real, you know, he had experiences in Vietnam, but like uh, he's said to me the only gun he ever wanted was that lever action rifle from Gunsmoke. Mm. The gun smoke, yeah, man. <laughs> Classic. You know, that lever yeah. action rifle. That's the only gun he ever wanted. He's never been a gun person. He never wanted a gun. But that's the only... He wouldn't let us have guns when we were kids. But... I mean, I remember my dad, and 
he let us have pellet rifles and, and all that stuff when we were kids. And he would talk about going out and, you know, hunt varmints with his 22 and everything. But his take on it was that all of that stuff was inherently deeply flawed and problematic. I mean, this is a guy who was like, you need to read Century of Dishonor and you need to understand the native genocide and you need to understand manifest destiny and you need to understand that we you know went to the black hills and took their sacred mountain and blew a bunch of white guys faces into the side of it um and there's just a lot of right there's a lot of bad stuff that everybody just you know for lack of a better term whitewashes over and doesn't address slavery was a huge problem genocide was a huge problem and then you watch even movies that are supposed to be quote-unquote enlightened about it like dances with wolves and they're just white savior myths (laughs) oh adam you're the best right well no that's what they are and so you know i grew up with a very different experience where my dad was like you need to understand all of this stuff is bullshit and you have to understand what really went on and why it's horrible that Andrew Jackson is the face you see most often on your money when you go to the ATM and take out $20. That guy was a scumbag. <laughs> he was the literal worst. Um, and I just feel like a lot of this stuff gets glossed over. And I mean, and we've even seen it crop up in the role playing community where the most recent edition of Deadlands got rid of the Confederate States of America because it was just, how do we put this in a game and not have people be uncomfortable? Well, they, they ended the war and they and, did. And that was kind of read, the, you know, if you read Hensley's explanation, it wasn't about we're ending it. It was, I have to take this out of the game because it's inherently problematic. Right. Uh, yeah. He wrote a huge long post about it, and it wasn't, well, we ended the war and there were story reasons for doing it. It was just like, we don't need this in the game, and it's problematic, and it causes people to feel uncomfortable. And then there are you know, people that we're not comfortable who are holding it up as a good thing, right? Yeah. And so they pulled that out of the game. And, and that... That was, I, I believe, that was the right move on his part, and and they they did they went in and made story reasons for it, um, but because of the way the Deadlands world works, it was actually kind of like the the four horsemen of the apocalypse have basically come to Earth and were pushing right, make but- you know that there was a reason that it was still happening, not because they wa- they wanted to have the Confederacy still around, at least as far as right, I can tell. But at the point you're saying you can play a Confederate in my game and that's a legitimate choice. Are you not like, are you not kind of making that more palatable or acceptable? Right. Cause I, like, I don't know any game where they'd be like, Oh yeah, you can. Well, all right. Aside from the one game from the one the meta the metal dude who was convicted of murder like i don't know of any game where you can play a nazi right like that's just not a thing you can do um well i mean but you could play there's a lot of people there's 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 some like problematic individuals that i've heard right like that guy and uh no there's those guys who uh uh some guys who do that with uh white wolf games oh yeah get a fenry yeah and they had to get rid of that shit too right like and Berlin by night was really bad. And there, there was a lot of that stuff back in the nineties. That was really bad. Yeah. I just, I don't know a way to interact with that stuff. That's not 
or to represent in the game world or allow people to play it that's not inherently just rife with the potential for abuse. Well, I think I think so. So, kind of drawing it back, I think that we've kind of touched on two points here. Like, on mm-hmm. one point is is that yeah, there's like a lot of stuff getting whitewashed, right? There's like um, a lot of uh, the context in which these games take place um, sort of look at colonialism, and then they say that is just the natural state. And even though they don't endorse it by not addressing it, they basically are saying like, what? How else would it be? Uh, NBD, you know, things happen. You got to break a couple eggs if you're going to make an omelet, right? And that's the that's the de facto context that the games exist in and thereby normalize that behavior, right? So that's one aspect. And on the other side, you have this kind of lionization of a particular kind of heroic archetype. And this is what troubles me about... about um, about westerns as a genre and the and and no matter what what uh art form you're taking them in from like i don't care if you're reading a pulp or if you're watching unforgiven right these as as a story form they largely center around white males who are what you could call hard men right they're like these like gritty tough cynical bastards who are going to like roll up and then straighten everything out to their way of thinking with violence. Right. And this even kind of touches on, um, star Trek, right? Because this is, uh, this is Kirk, right? This is how Kirk approaches problems. He's rolling through space. He sees something he doesn't like. He goes down to the planet, punches it in the face like bones somebody and then it's on to the next adventure. You know what I'm saying? And it's that kind of, um, that idea that, uh, and, and that, 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 that's also part of the context that like, if you're like a white male, then you have this kind of license to go wherever you want to, wherever you want and to sort of like impose your values through force of violence. And that that is part of the narrative. Does that make sense? Isn't that what America was based on? Well, I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying that, like the the uh, the there's this there's this kind of um, epic heroic value that is embedded inside the storytelling of the Western. Right, the Western really tries to take these behaviors and display them as being innately virtuous. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the reasons that, like I said, we've only seen this very this kind of slice of this idea has been the whole of the pie, mostly. And while yes, I I I agree that there's you know you have to there are many landmines and many discussions to be had before if you were going to play this game play westerns as a as a as a genre on the tabletop. Um, to find out what level of things you want to talk about here or at play in the game. But I think there is uh, room basically uh, I, you know, at one point I was, I was definitely a libertarian and I'm a recovering libertarian, but I, I, I watched all those movies, all the Clint Eastwood movies. And I never thought to myself, I could do any of that stuff, but it, 
I now see it, see it myself as like I w- I could never solve my own problems, and it was always enjoyable to me to watch uh, those movies, watching somebody be, be able to directly solve their problems. But I realize that that's a fault. Those are faulty uh, ideas uh, because that's not how the world really works, um, and that those those movies uh, didn't you know from other part you know other points of view are you know they're he's the bad guy like <laughs> you know the 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 white the white protagonist uh in a lot of these western are really the bad guy in in, in a lot of this uh stuff because they're you know killing innocent people or people that they want something from that they can't have so um after uh you know the tombstone the gunfight the okay corral and Doc Holliday, you know, died in Colorado or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wyatt Earp moved to Los Angeles. And, um, you know, the Wild West era kind of like butts up against the beginning of like the new American 20th century. And uh, with the dawning of the 20th century and being in Los Angeles, he was in a spot where storytelling was shifting away from the dime magazines that they had then, the penny dreadful type magazines, to um, film. And he was actually involved in the very early kind of like film industry in Los Angeles, not just involved in like westerns and stuff, but like involved in stunts, apparently. Hmm. I was reading this at one point. And he basically spent like the entire rest of his life kind of canonizing himself and um, his cohort at the OK Corral and essentially using the like propaganda machine of Hollywood to tell this story of like him and his buddies who valorously shot down a bunch of assholes. When really, if you get into the fucking like history of those guys, like, what was the difference between the Herb brothers and the Cowboys? Like, they were, you know, they were the same kind of guys. It's just that one side killed all the other ones and then went and, just, and told the story about it. You know what I'm saying? Well, he sure. ended up History in... is written by the winners, and that right. is a great example of that. Well, he ended up in Alaska in 1901, just running, for lack of a better term, a brothel. Like, that's what he did up there. He was, you know, he had a saloon, he ran a brothel, and he was just like, yep, that's what I'm going to go do with myself. I don't really know that he was super interested in, in quote-unquote, law and order, right? I think he was kind of like shooting people. And that's the fun thing about Westerns. That's what makes Westerns so fun is the fact that, you know, you, you, the good guy gets to shoot a lot of people. I mean, it's there's so much violence um, and laying down the law as one person sees it. Does that make a good foundation for a game, or is that somehow the foundation for all games? It's sort of the foundation for all games, because when you go into a game, Vampire is a perfect example of it, of this. You don't necessarily play a good guy. You, you play the guy that wants to get his shit done. Yeah, there is kind of that whole mythology in any role-playing game where you ride into the town or the village like the magnificent seven or whatever right and you're gonna go slay the great evil and be the hero and save the day 
I would have said the Magnificent Seven was actually like uh, appropriation, but uh, Kurosawa actually helped work on the original conversion. So they actually paid him, which I find is an interesting. Uh, so it's based on the Seven wow. Samurai, and Kurosawa right. actually no, I, worked on it, which is I, I I know that wasn't where your point was, but I just I, that was one of those no, weird no, facts. And that, it's a good <laughs> thing to draw out, but I mean, it's like even Three Amigos, Unforgiven, like all of these westerns are. Some exceptional yeah. hard as nails guy comes in and he's going to sort everything out at the business end of a gun, you know. And yeah, yo, I haven't watched Three Amigos in a hot minute, but I and because because I, frankly, I'm quite scared. I mean, is that not just a 90 minute racist joke at this point? Probably. I don't remember. Like, I just remember the whole idea at the end of it being that they had that big fight. You know, I was like, we're going to solve it all with fighting. Well, I think in Three Amigos, they solve it all with deception, but like... All right, well, whatever, but they solve the problem, right? Like, they roll into the town, and they... they, I get Whoa, they built a fake town, right? And then they blew it up with dynamite? Something. While the guys were in the town. All I know is it involved, like, copious amounts of violence and murder. So so they solved it the same way they solved Blazing Saddles? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it was Blazing Saddles I'm thinking of. Maybe I'm mixing... Maybe I'm mixing those two up. I mean, simply saying that, like, the archetype of the storytelling between the fantasy genre and the Western, I don't think does anything to redeem the Western as much as it shows that this same type of contextualized thinking exists across the genre, which is that that it is the privilege of the um, violence-dealing hero character to um tell other people how it's going to be right like you know you know what no orcs in this village that shit ain't going to happen and and we're going to kill them <laughs> you know what i'm saying right <laughs> yeah um, you know um and and what what well, the point that i'm kind of trying to make is is that uh i think that a lot of people who wrote the early role playing games had watched a lot of westerns you know that even if they had watched them on repeats on like Saturday morning or whatever, or they're very small, I think that that type of thinking was embedded into the early DNA of the role playing game. I think that type of thinking is actually kind of just embedded in humanity. I don't think all of this can be laid at the Western store. See, I, I mean, I dis, I disagree. I disagree with that kind of notion that, like, uh, you know, what is it? Is it Hobbes or I can't remember who says that? Like, life is uh, uh, violent, brutish, and short. I think that there's like a lot of um, like historical precedent that like flies in the face of that, but that uh, I think it's part of the libertarian myth that um, that that that's the intrinsic way that people are. And that not only is the hard man like an exceptional person because he is so good at dealing out this kind of violence, but also that we need him to protect us from the things that we can't do or don't want to do. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Well, I mean, I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is that it's something that's simply in our genetic code. You know, I mean, I don't think the hard man is, you know, the best man and that we need him either. However, you're also going up against things 
that have been around for centuries. Um, I mean, just think of like natural selection. Well, sure, right? Like, uh, like chimps murder, right? We we see this in nature. Chimpanzees in a state of nature will murder. They they have they commit war. They like plan killings, right? Like dolphins, dolphins rape and torture for fun. We know about we know this. It's like you know, it's it's not just like oh, animals need food, so they kill for food, and it's kind of regrettable. But we we do see that there is this capacity for kind of like sadism, for violence, for premeditated violence. It's in the natural world. It's in us. We're not really different from animals. We're just exceptionally sophisticated, exceptionally successful animals. Uh, but I think that like the the real legacy of humanity and that the kind of forgotten history of humanity is one of like immense cooperation. You know, one of one that is uh, has a sort of unparalleled idealism as opposed to unparalleled cynicism. Well, I think part part of that is, I mean, there's the carrot and stick approach. I mean, the the other, as codified, is a lot of times used to make people work together. So, like, I think there is some. I mean, I I don't think you're completely wrong. I think people are much more likely to work together until the until the shit really really you know like there's either they're they're going to die or or you're going to die like. I think that's much more likely than the, than the, like, uh, you know, as soon as the lights go out, everybody gets their guns and starts shooting. Like, I think there's, there's a, a longer grace period than, than I think a lot of people give humanity credit for. Um, I also think that like, uh, I, I'm not going to say I'm, I have, I didn't run into a lot of, uh, libertarians that thought that the gun was the answer they actually were more in line with remove all rules except for murder. <laughs> that was, that was, if you murdered somebody or hurt somebody, that was the, those were the rules they wanted to keep. So the non-aggression principle, the yeah. like extremely nebulous and almost impossible to define. And really the non-aggression principle is kind of what I think it is. Aggression principle. Like, yeah. Right. I mean, like what is self-defense versus right? Like if I, go up and I stick my finger into your face until I get a reaction out of you. And then I gun you down. Am I in the right? No. <laughs> well, uh, but there's like a whole cohort of people will tell you. Yes. Well, that, that, you are in the right when you do that. Well, they're uh, wrong. So there's that. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, uh, humanity has always been tribal. Like we've always been like animals fighting over these kind of nebulous abstractions. You know what I mean? It's like the Vikings didn't work together because they had some grand ideal about the way that the world should be. It was just, we're going to go a raiding and take people shit. And the Romans didn't have some grand ideal about the way the world should be other than like, you know, Pax Imperialis. Like we're going to go extend our empire and take shit over. Same for the Persians. I uh, yeah, I don't know. I think we're getting back into the uh, into what Amanda was talking about previously when she was saying uh, history is written by the victor. And um, the the thing is, is that um, when you go into a history book and you like, and and, the, and on some level, this kind of like leans into the great man theory of history, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, 
the the way that historians have kind of like been trained over the course of centuries and passed on to each other is like how you do history is that you kind of mm-hmm. like you what, what are you going to write about oh we're going to write about these like we're going to write about these wars and these characters that came out of wars and we're going to write about like um like the struggles uh the the martial victories stuff like this Mm. And, and those are all yeah. legitimate parts of history. I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm. I'm not trying to whitewash history. At the end of the day, what I will say is that in order for humanity to get through a day, and, and obviously, obviously, you look around, violence. Uh, even when you talk about, and we'll kind of get into this in a second. When you get there's this kind of within the context of the of the of the Western, there's this there's this urge to kind of um like to sanctify the the native people in a certain way and to create this kind of like weird um like archetype of like the native person who is like highly spiritual and kind of sinless and is just kind of almost like a lamb that is being slaughtered right and and to not to sort of like deny them the ability to be complex characters and to have complex struggles, right? And we know that like in before before a fucking European ever set foot on North America, there were wars going on here and there was, you know, conflict and people had good days and people had bad days. I mean, that's that that is living. But in order for the Roman Empire to go from one day to the next, like thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people had to cooperate together and they had to like you know talk in the street and they had to acknowledge each other's birthdays or whatever and they had to like give hand a loaf of bread from one person to another person and we don't feast on that right what we feast on is this idea of like oh well Nero was having crazy orgies and fucking fucking his sister and like cutting off slaves heads for fun and shit you know that's right, the thing that we put into into our mind's eye to frame it in history is to frame it in a modern context though it's like in america most of us are cooperating and living and going through the social contract and all of that but we're still doing a lot of horrible shit you know we're still going into the middle east and waging two decade long wars there are you not at a certain point via the social contract signing off on that or allowing that to happen? Right, right. And these are these are these are these are complex kind of ideas. But like when I think when people say like, oh, if you want to look at what's in the human heart, all you got to do is pick up a history book. Just pick up mm-hmm. a history book and no. read about all those fucking killings. And it's just like it's just like uh if you want to, they've actually, it's kind of interesting because Richard was talking about this. He was talking about kind of like uh, on some level, I think he was kind of softly referencing kind of like uh, the genre of post-apocalyptic kind of like survival fiction that has emerged over the last 20 years as being very, very kind of like popular. And uh, in this style of fiction, uh, there is this preconceived notion that, um, as, as Richard said, the second the lights go out, it's like people hiding in their houses, roving bands form, people killing each other over fucking like aspirin and a gallon Yeah, it's of the water. purge. Right. But what sociologists tell us is that there's, is that actually under immense stress, um, human beings become much more cooperative. Like, uh, uh, and, 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 and then as Richard did point out, there's a time limit on this, but that in the immediate aftermath of like a horrifying trauma, uh, human beings actually band together 
and become more cooperative and become more communalistic and become more aware of each other's needs. And this is one of those things that the rightists love to celebrate about 9-11, right? When they show like people out in the street lending aid to one another constantly. But also, even if you like watch uh, Chernobyl and there's that moment where those guys have to go into the fucking... Um, they have to go under the ra- the, the the reactor to um to like turn off some water or something um and those guys i mean they were going to be walking dead you know what i'm saying right. they were gonna be walking dead when the fukushima reactor was going into meltdown they had to scramble a team of guys to walk in there and to like flip a fucking switch and they all knew that they weren't going to walk out and in those I, moments it's not like those guys like grab guns and start shooting people they're just, i think you will always find exceptional people who are self-sacrificing and willing to do that kind of thing and then you have this much larger group of people who you go hey um wear your mask when you go to the grocery store so that you don't spread a pandemic and they go fuck you my freedoms you know what I mean? Like, is that like, a group of people larger? Is it? Is it? There's a lot of them larger? out where I live. <laughs> I think. Like, I will tell you the people... number. I've never met somebody who's going to charge into a nuclear reactor, but I have seen plenty of people at the Safeway over here yelling at the person at the door. <laughs> I think most of the people you're going to find are going to be in the middle. The people oh, who sure. who are super self-sacrificing. That's not your everyday person your everyday person is going to be like well i'm not doing that someone else can do that that's that's where they're going to fall and i personally don't think that's better i mean really they're they're just sheep at that point and i think there's a uh the genre example because i i i i some for at some level i love this movie but it's uh the blazing saddles uh, basically the town binds together with, they're like, I hate, we hate all of you, <laughs> but we're going to band together to make sure that this asshole doesn't take our town. Right. The, the, that's the end of that movie is except for the Irish, uh, we'll, we'll work with everybody. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, it's a, it's a joke, but it's, there's, there's real world examples of, you know, towns banding together. Now, of course they lose against the railroad, but, in the end, but that's kind of, you know, there, there are these examples, uh, worker, worker, uh, uprisings and, and stuff like that in the, the old West that you could, you right. can tell these stories that aren't just, you know, the, the, and, and in a role-playing sense, you, unless you're playing a, a solo game, you're going to pl- be playing a group of people working together. Now, they could be a bunch of assholes that aren't wearing their masks or they could be, you know, they could be people trying to save towns and, and, and because they were asked to, you know, cause they were well, w- willing to die for I these think, towns. I think the you know? context is what are they trying to save the town from? I mean, that's, I mean, I'm just going to put a really fine point on it rather than dancing around it. What are they trying to save the town from? Are they like a bunch of fucking like Lone Ranger white dudes who are trying to save the town from being in Mexico? I mean, is that the big problem? You know, I mean, and sometimes there's some kind of very coded language, especially within the Western. There's some very kind of dog whistly stuff that goes on where where nobody is going to just outright say like like, oh, 
um, X group of people is clearly better and morally superior to Y group of people. But I mean, if you watch the Three Amigos, I kind of, you know, anything that's in my memory banks about that one is that that's why I cringe to watch it again because I feel like I feel like there's some pretty like heavy-handed racial humor that like makes uh, people from um, the Mexico region look pretty bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that is the one that ends with them dressing the town up as for black mariachi performers and then they gun down so you're right to your point i had that backwards i was thinking of blazing saddles with the explosions but three amigos is the one where they dress up like the three amigos and then they all open fire on these guys i want to uh kind of change because we i feel like we sh- are probably kind of getting are we getting short on time richard we're, we're getting we, uh we're getting down to it but you know getting yeah. down to it okay well i want to kind of shift gears a little bit i want to talk a little bit about representation in these games because i feel like we'd be remiss to talk about i mean but first of all i'm delighted that we just spent like you know 10 minutes talking about like the nature of the human soul i think that's great yeah. i think i think more role-playing podcasts should talk about that honestly but um like I, I, I feel like we'd be remiss to not talk about representation when we're talking about this particular genre in which representation, and this is the thing, this is the thing. One of the things that the, 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 the uh, Western almost needs in order to run is it needs this issue of representation, right? You've got to have these others that you are um, protecting an idea against and whether that idea is like the town or the church or our money on the train or the, the decency of these women or whatever, there's gotta be a value right here. There's gotta be us with guns and then there's gotta be them over there. Right. And, um, how them over there gets kind of represented and who the us with guns is, I think is actually kind of interesting especially when you look at the historical research that's been done um, that suggests that one in four cowboys was a uh, black American, like uh, ex-slaves who were, uh-huh. who were moving West and trying to figure out what to do with their lives and had uh, this agricultural skill set. Um, and yet you know, don't see this. You don't see you don't, this. Well, you also don't see a lot of vaqueros, right? Like- well, I mean... Uh, you might in uh, as villains, <laughs> right, well, I mean, not as not as heroes. Uh, you know, it, I I have definitely seen like you know I'm just looking at the new version of Deadlands now, which Deadlands actually kind of sidesteps a, a bit of this issue, not the rep- player character representation, but the other is almost certainly some sort of actual monster. So mm-hmm. they kind of side. I think that's the reason it it is able to like keep moving forward and not just get stuck in the same loop. But yeah, uh, but when you when you think about racial representation in westerns, what do you think of? Right, you think of the the white cowboy, right, like the Gene Autry guy coming in with his shiny pistols and the plains Indian. Of, <laughs> right, the noble savage, right, that whole concept. And then you've got the bandito, who's usually the villain. Well, hang on. I feel like, Amanda, do you agree that the bandito is usually the villain? Because I feel like when you are suggesting the Plains Indian, you're suggesting that the Plains Indian is the villain. What do you, what, what, what do you well, want to Well, you know, sometimes it's the Plains Indian. Sometimes it's the Mexican guy. Uh, either way, it's the brown guy. 
Right. That's fair. <laughs> it's, and you just, you really don't see, you know, black or slave, slave or ex-slave representation hardly at all. I'm trying to think of an instance. Well, you know, uh, Mario Van Peebles made posse in the, uh, in the nineties. And I think that that was almost like Hootie and the Blowfish where people were like, Whoa, black guys in a Western black guys uh-huh. playing rock music. And this whole kind of notion that we as, as like white culture had appropriated these ideas almost entirely. And then had the audacity to gatekeep on them. Like, like nobody had an eyelash at that except for, you know, Darius Rucker and Mario Van Peebles who were kind of gobsmacked by the entire well, thing. Right. And there's Lou Diamond Phillips and Young Guns and all that. So, okay, sure. Right. It, it, yeah, it's weird. It is. It is weird. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's the, the kind of aftermath media. I think there's a lot of like, I mean, I th- like you said, a quarter of the cowboys were, were black. Uh, you know, they're. Is, would definitely be a lot of, uh, I mean, it would probably be majority uh, Mexican in, you know, Arizona, Texas, uh, New Mexico, um, to a certain extent. And, uh, you know, the, even, you know, this, this, the Spaniards, um, before that, uh, obviously the even, you know, you can argue about that, but I think there is like, you know, there's room for, to me, there's room for everybody in this genre and you know we can we can bring this around like you know i'm watching lovecraft country and loving the shit out of it like we you know desperately need you know telling this the real stories but also you know bringing representation to that era and you know that can do all kinds of interesting stuff that you don't get the same fucking story every time which I'm I'm interested in hearing Amanda's like full comprehensive thoughts on representation. Uh, please, please, if you if you would like to share them with us, my full comprehensive thoughts <laughs> on it. Oh my! I mean, well, within the context of what it is that we're talking, teeing that one up. All right. <laughs> um, like I said, the the Native American is literally the last minority to be mainstreamed. Right now, it's uh, it's Asians that are, are getting mainstreamed. Um, really the native American is uh, a background person and has been for a long time. And uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's a, it's a shame. It's a real shame for my people, I guess I should say. Uh, because really if, if you go and ask the normal person on the street, all they're going to be able to tell you is stereotypes you know, I mean, even here, Arizona, where there's tons of reservations. I mean, how many of you guys have actually spent time on a reservation? How long have you lived here? You know, I know. It, I right? Know. Like, like none. Like, like I drive through it on my way to other places, right? Yeah, you drive through it, or you go to the casino. You know, well, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't gamble, but sure, yeah. I, like, I almost like, got arrested yeah, on a reservation right. once, so there's that. So yeah, well, you know, you're white. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, there was e- I, 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 I was able to talk my way out of being arrested and or having my camera taken away. So uh, <laughs> I was lucky and privileged. I apologize. So. <laughs> That's OK. No, but I, I mean, I think that that kind of sums it up right there. I mean, uh, really, a lot of people, they, they don't really think about the Native American, which just like we fade into the background. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think you have a point there. Uh, I think that even uh, if you expand that to a uh, 
worldwide perspective where you're talking about like native peoples, not just native Americans. It's my understanding that there's like even a kind of coalition building within certain native American circles that want to abolish the use of the term native American because it wasn't America until Europeans showed up. So even like use calling people native Americans places, this kind of like post European colonial identity on them. Right. But, um, there, yeah, ahead, there's a whole thing about the name, but I mean, really, that? huh? Have you have you heard about people in your community talking about that? Oh yeah, there's there's uh, all sorts of things that they'd rather be called. I mean, that's one of the big problems is that they can't agree on one name. But <laughs> and then there's people, you know, like me that you want to call me a Native American, that's fine. You know, you want to just call me Native, that's fine. I I don't. Basically, it's it's sort of. Uh, I guess I guess my natural state is to assume that if I'm interacting with someone who is not native that they're going to be ignorant. That that really is my <laughs> natural assumption. Uh, so That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's a safe assumption. <laughs> yeah. It, and it really is. So uh, a lot of the times like things and terms and stuff it's just like i don't even pay attention unless it's something really bad like uh in my wow guild which i am playing a lot of world of warcraft 2 during covid what um, year is it amanda amanda what year is it <laughs> they it's, remastered it it's they remastered did. i'm playing classic so yeah oh jesus okay never mind okay <laughs> no but uh we had a guy we had a guy in our guild use the term wagon burner for native yeah and God. he Damn. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was really, really bad. Um, How did that even come up? <laughs> it, well, okay, so don't it came up me. because... Don't tell, don't tell me. I don't even want to... <laughs> yeah, you don't want to know, man. It, like, it came I, up I because... Know. No, no, listen, this is great. It came up because he's married to a native woman. Oh, boy. And mm. he calls her that. <laughs> mm. And she... <laughs> Exactly. There's all sorts of craziness there. So so my husband spent way too long explaining to this man how it's a derogatory term. Right. It never occurred to this dude? <laughs> it never occurred to that well, dude. Yeah, but the whole thing is, is like we feed school kids a steady diet of like Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier, which is a film from like 1950 something, right? You know what I mean? Like. I know as I as a kid, I had to watch that thing, and it was a Walt Disney production, which somehow gave it like a veneer of respectability. But it, we just somehow. This. I don't even know how you say somehow. So Disney Disney shit, especially from that era, is like uh, the vanguard of the like waspy white kind of like let's right. set the tone for this whole thing, and they just feed it to you, right? They feed it to you, and it's not okay that movie is terrible i mean but isn't isn't he contemporaneous with this kind of like mexican-american war post yeah no he is because he died at the alamo yeah he died at the alamo yeah it's just it's it's all part of the same kind of narrative the otherism uh, yeah yeah and i mean is is there a is there a potential here that like the um the in the wake of the civil war there this uh group of people who basically like 
you know, um, should have like known better. Like just went west and tried to set up new fiefdoms of bullshit. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about the uh, about the uh, the the history of that. I'm, I'm. It'd be interesting to look into. Um, as we kind of are r- winding down here, so Amanda, I gotta ask. Like, okay, I'm a white dude, right? This is me, and it's it's not your job to like educate you know me or anyone, right? But as since we're on the podcast and you do have an opportunity to speak on a platform here, right? Like, um, do, do you ever feel weird when you're like reading the Shadowrun books and you see the like the made up Indian names? I shouldn't say Indian, the Native American names and in, in the Shadowrun books. And it's like ghost who walks and stuff like that. Does is that bothersome or is it a nice attempt? Honestly, most of the nice attempts are just laughable. Um, pretty cringe. <laughs> I, but so, I'm not one to be easily offended. I could see some maybe na- na- natives. Most natives are just gonna laugh at your weird white things that you come out with because <laughs> we've had to deal with this for so long. And I mean. It's, it's kind of one of those things where you laugh or you cry. We choose to laugh um, because it's, you know, more fun than crying. You know what I mean? I mean, honestly, honestly, the, the, the whole native like, plights, I guess you could call it. It's really sad. Like our, our culture is practically gone. Um, the, the beautiful songs and things that we had the spiritualness is is all but obliterated and a lot of our people are you know addicted to one substance or another um and it's it's really really sad what is happening to natives you know all over the place and uh there's not much you can actually do about it at this point you you know yeah yeah um well, you know, you, you've listed a number of things that, like, the native, the native world had and that we have lost that, that essentially, like, you know, European colonialism has obliterated in one way or another. And to that list, I would like to add something, uh, especially in, within the context. It's, uh, it's uh, what, Thursday the 10th, 2020. Currently, California is on fire, and we're seeing these pictures of... Um, these orange skies over. Yo, so what gender is that? Oh, what? Oh, I don't what know. What gender is that? We're see- anyway, we're seeing these pictures, of these orange skies over, uh, over San Francisco. Right. And, um, like the fucking world's dying. And I know a lot of people, they, they, they kind of, uh, associate like, Oh, native American people, ecology, that cheesy commercial from the seventies where there's the native American guy. Well, it wasn't even native American. He was not native American. He was Italian. Was, well, I mean, I, I think a character is supposed to be Native American, right? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and he cries, right? But the fact of the matter is, right, that when European colonials got to fucking America, they, didn't, they, they, they like to say that they didn't think anybody was here because this place was fucking untouched. And the economy of the peoples that lived here kept it in stasis and balance for literally thousands of fucking years. And in the in the 500 subsequent, we've managed to destroy everything, right? The whole planet's going to fucking die, and it's our fault. So uh, we've lost a lot. 
We've lost a fucking lot. Now, an ordinary podcast, we might like do a list of things that you could do at the table to, you know, do better or whatever. Um, I hope there's someone out there that did an episode like that. We've just given you some stuff to think about, like the nature of human, you know, evil, like whether it's in our hearts or not. Uh, so I hope you guys take that and uh, use it in your role playing games. Does anybody have any closing thoughts? Closing thoughts from everybody. Uh, my closing thought is I think that you, you know, definitely think on these, these uh, topics and I think we can do better. I mean, if we can at least play games while the world world burns, but uh, um, it's uh, you know, these are discussions that need to be had. Um, and uh, I really want to hear more thoughts. So, you know, hit up the discord cause I'm not really on Facebook. So well, my closing thought would be, just fucking remember that what you do affects more than yourself. And just try and keep that in your mind every time you want to be an asshat. Solid. Solid. Also solid. Uh, Adam. Um, do better than Dances with Wolves and The Last of the Mohicans and The Last Samurai, where the last one in all of those movies was a white dude. Um, <laughs> yes. Like, like, be better, and uh, you know, in the end, uh, put goodness out into the world as much as you're capable of doing, because we really need that at this point in time. Yeah, definitely. I'd agree with all that. I would agree with all that. Um, yeah, great. Well, hey, it's been another politics episode. Of politics role playing. Hope we gave you something to think about. Um. You know that we all have our takes, but uh, you knew that coming into it. If you didn't hear that in the introduction episode, then uh, sorry, not sorry. Um, you know, get at us at the uh, Facebook page. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. If you want to email us, it's uh, fullmetalrpgofficial at gmail.com. Um, and then, uh, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time out of your um, evening to come and join us and to talk about this uh, this issue. I really appreciate you contributing. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You guys are awesome. Oh, thank you for saying so. Uh, and, and and so are you. And welcome back. Uh, you know that 100th episode is is uh, coming on. So uh, you should come on and say something. You should come on and just say something real quick. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Come on and be like, I can't believe anyone would listen to a hundred episodes of this. And we'll say, jokes on you, they didn't. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody very much, everybody. Uh, have a good night. 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 I want to have a little talk with you.